Hi everybody, this is Wanda and I just wanted to say welcome to this week's episode of Bible Briefs. I know you're here for the story, so let's get right into it. So God had told Solomon that he would take the kingdom away from his son. God had even sent a prophet to tell Jeroboam, who was one of Solomon's officials, that he was going to be king of 10 of Israel's 12 tribes after Solomon's death. And God offered Jeroboam the same kind of covenant he'd made with David. If Jeroboam would be loyal to God, God would bless him and give him a long royal dynasty. After Solomon died, the nation gathered to make his son Rehoboam king. And they asked him to lighten the heavy load of labor and taxes that his father had required. If he did that, they would loyally follow him. Rehoboam said he'd answer in three days, and he consulted with his father's advisors, as well as some of his buddies he had made as advisors now that he was king. And his father's wise old advisors said that he could win the people's loyalty easily by agreeing to their demands now. But his buddies said that he should refuse those complainers and tell them that he was much tougher than his father was. And Rehoboam listened to his buddies, and when he gave the people an unfavorable answer, the people shouted, Down with David's dynasty! Go home, Israel, and let David's house look out for themselves. And the people of Israel chose Jeroboam for their king, just as God had said would happen. Only the tribes of Judah and Benjamin remained loyal to David's descendants. Well, Rehoboam wasn't going to give up without a fight. He mobilized 180,000 troops to go take back Israel by force. But God sent word through a prophet that this division was his doing and they were not to go to war, so they returned home. Even though war had been averted for the moment, Jeroboam was still uneasy. Jerusalem and the temple were in Rehoboam's kingdom, and Jeroboam became convinced that if his people traveled to the temple to worship God, they'd defect to Rehoboam, put David's dynasty back in charge, and kill him. So he made two golden calves and set one up in a shrine at each end of his kingdom and told the people that it was too hard to go all the way to Jerusalem to worship, and right here were the gods who brought them out of Egypt. And the people started worshiping the golden calves, and Jeroboam started to set up his own copycat priesthood, religious festivals, just about everything, really. Well, God was about as thrilled with these new golden calves as he had been with the original, and he sent a prophet to denounce Jeroboam. Jeroboam didn't heed that prophet's correction. Later, his son became deathly ill, and Jeroboam told his wife to disguise herself and go ask the prophet who told him he would be king what would happen to their son. The prophet was old and blind, but he still saw through her disguise, and the message he had for her was not a nice one. God was furious with Jeroboam because he hadn't followed God's commands. He'd sinned and led all of Israel into that same sin. He'd turned his back on God and made idols for himself, so God had nothing but disaster in store for Jeroboam and his sons. The prophet told her when she got home, her son would die. The nation would mourn and bury him, and he would be the only member of the family to receive a proper burial. Meanwhile, in Judah things weren't a whole lot better. Under Rehoboam, the people of Judah also turned from the Lord and worshipped idols. And they kept right on doing so until Rehoboam's grandson Asa became king. Asa set about turning the people of Judah back to God. He destroyed all the idols his ancestors had made, even his grandmother's Asherah pole. And he took away her position as queen mother because of it. 
He was faithful to the Lord throughout his life, though even in his time, idolatry wasn't completely destroyed in Judah. Up in Israel, however, no such religious reformation took place. Instead, in the last years of Asa's reign, Israel got a king who would become infamous for his evil, King Ahab. Ahab married a foreign woman, Jezebel, and soon he was worshiping and building worship sites for Baal and Asherah. So God sent a prophet named Elijah to tell Ahab that it wasn't going to rain anymore, not until Elijah said so. God then told Elijah to hide by a specific brook and God would have ravens bring him food. Well, that worked for a time, but with no rain, the brook eventually dried up. Then God sent Elijah to stay with a widow in a village. When Elijah arrived in the village, he asked her for some water and bread. She told him she didn't have any bread, just a handful of flour and a few drops of oil. She was preparing to make a last meal for herself and her son, and then they would start starving to death. Elijah told her to make his meal first because God had promised there would always be enough flour and oil until the rain returned and the crops grew again. She did what Elijah said, and sure enough, there was always a bit more oil and flour in her containers. Sometime later, the widow's son became severely ill and died. Elijah took the boy into his own room and pleaded with God to give the child his life back. God heard and answered Elijah's prayer, and he presented the boy, alive, to his mother, who was now completely convinced that God spoke through Elijah. During the third year of the drought, God spoke to Elijah and told him to go back to Ahab and tell him rain was coming soon. When they met, Ahab greeted him by calling him the troublemaker of Israel, but Elijah retorted that it was Ahab and his family who had made trouble for Israel by disobeying God and worshiping Baal instead. Then Elijah told Ahab to summon everyone, including all the prophets of Baal Jezebel financially supported, to Mount Carmel. When they arrived at Mount Carmel, Elijah challenged all the people. How long are you going to be wishy-washy? If Baal is God, follow him. But if God is truly God, follow him. The people had no answer, so Elijah continued and proposed a showdown. God versus Baal. Elijah versus 450 prophets of Baal. Each side would prepare an altar and an animal for sacrifice, then pray to their God to light the sacrifice on fire. The God who set the sacrifice on fire was the real God. Elijah let the prophets of Baal go first, and they prepared their sacrifice and started praying. They prayed all morning long, and about noon, Elijah started mocking them. You probably just need to shout louder. I'm sure he's a God. Maybe he's daydreaming, or on the toilet, or away on a trip. Or maybe he's just sleeping, and you need to shout louder to wake him up. And they shouted louder and even started cutting themselves, so blood gushed out. They kept it up all day until it was time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no reply and no fire. Then Elijah called all the people over to him. He repaired the altar of God, dug a trench around it that could hold about three gallons, and prepared his sacrifice. Then he told the people to fill four large jars with water and pour it over the sacrifice. He had them do that three times, till the sacrifice and the wood were soaked, and the water had filled the trench he'd made. Then when it was time for the evening sacrifice, Elijah prayed, God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are Israel's God. 
Answer me so that these people may know that you are God and you are bringing them back to you. Immediately, God sent fire from heaven and it burned everything up. The sacrifice, the wood, the stones of the altar, even the water in the trench. And all the people bowed down and declared, God is truly God. And Elijah commanded that they seize all the prophets of Baal and they executed the prophets of Baal in a nearby valley. Then Elijah told Ahab, rain was coming now. Elijah climbed up Mount Carmel and bowed down and prayed, not looking at anything. He told his servant to go look out at the sea, but the servant didn't see anything. He had the servant go look seven times. And finally, after the seventh time, the servant came back and said that there was a small cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Elijah told his servant to tell Ahab to hurry up or else he wouldn't get home before the rain stopped him. And God gave Elijah supernatural strength so that he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way back to town as the storm clouds rolled in. When Ahab arrived home, he told his wife Jezebel what had happened, and she sent a message to Elijah saying, I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow. Elijah ran for his life. He ran into the wilderness and finally stopped to rest under a tree where he prayed, I've had enough, God. Just kill me now. Then he fell asleep under the tree. An angel woke him up and told him to eat, and he saw bread and water nearby. He ate and lay back down, but God's angel came and touched him again and told him to eat some more. That food gave him the strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Mount Sinai. And God asked him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I've served you wholeheartedly, but the people have broken your covenant and killed your prophets. I'm the only one left, and they want to kill me too. God told Elijah to stand before him on the mountain. Gale force winds hit the mountain and tore loose some of the rocks, but God wasn't in the wind. Then there was an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. Then a fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And finally there was a whisper. And when Elijah heard that whisper, he covered his face and approached God's presence. And God told him, go back. You're to anoint your replacement, Elisha. Elijah went as he was told and found Elisha plowing a field. Elijah threw his cloak over Elisha. And after saying his farewells, Elisha followed Elijah and became his assistant. Meanwhile, Ahab continued in his evil ways. There was a vineyard next door to his palace that belonged to a man named Naboth, and Ahab wanted to buy it. He offered Naboth money or an even better vineyard in exchange for it, but Naboth refused to sell and told him, God forbid I should give you my family's inheritance. Ahab was very upset about this and sulked all day, refusing to eat. Finally, Jezebel asked him what had made him too upset to eat, and he told her he was upset because Naboth wouldn't sell the vineyard. Jezebel said she'd take care of it, then wrote letters as Ahab to the leaders of Naboth's hometown. And she told them to have some men falsely accuse Naboth of cursing God and the king, and then have him stoned to death. They did as they were told, and when they sent word to Jezebel that Naboth had been stoned to death, she told Ahab, Naboth's dead now. Go claim his vineyard as your own. Ahab went to the vineyard, and God sent Elijah to meet him there. As soon as Elijah shows up, Ahab is like, Ah, my enemy, you found me. And Elisha says, Yes, I've come because you keep doing evil. 
So now God says that he'll bring disaster on you and completely destroy your sons and their sons and your entire family. Jezebel will be eaten by dogs when she dies, and the rest of your family members who die in the city will be eaten by dogs, and those who die in the field will be eaten by vultures. When Ahab heard this message, he fasted and mourned and wore burlap instead of his fancy robes. So God told Elijah that because Ahab had humbled himself, the disaster would come upon his sons rather than in Ahab's lifetime. Sometime later, during a state visit from Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Asa's son and successor, Ahab said to his visitor, There's that town that's rightly ours, but the king of Aram took it, and we've never taken it back. Jehoshaphat, will you help me take it back? Jehoshaphat agreed, but wanted to find out what God had to say first. Ahab assembled a bunch of prophets, all prophesying victory. But Jehoshaphat asked, wasn't there a real prophet of God around to ask God for them? Ahab said, well, there's Micaiah, but I hate him because he always prophesies bad things for me. Jehoshaphat pushed back, and Ahab had Micaiah summoned. When Micaiah arrived, he told them that he'd seen a vision of all Israel scattered like sheep without a shepherd, and God said it was because their master had been killed. Then Micaiah shared another vision. He'd seen that a lying spirit had inspired all of Ahab's prophets to speak lies so that he would go to battle and be killed. Still, Ahab and Jehoshaphat went to battle, and Ahab said, You wear your royal robes, but I'm going to go in disguise so no one recognizes me. But Ahab couldn't hide from God, and a random arrow pierced between the joints of Ahab's armor, fatally wounding him. He bled out until evening, then he finally died. Jehoshaphat survived that battle and continued ruling and following God in Judah. God blessed his rule, and he became very rich. And eventually, some of the surrounding nations banded together and decided to come try to take some of that wealth for themselves. Their armies were very close before Jehoshaphat got word that they were coming. He immediately called all the people to fast and pray and gather at the temple in Jerusalem. And Jehoshaphat led them in prayer, remembering all God's promises to his people and then asking God to stop these armies because they were powerless against them and were looking to God for help. And God's spirit came upon one of the men in the crowd with this message. God says, don't be discouraged or afraid because this battle isn't yours, it's God's. March out to meet them in battle tomorrow, but you won't even need to fight. You'll just need to watch what God does because he is with you. And the people worshiped and praised God. The next morning, the army set out, and Jehoshaphat appointed singers to lead the army, singing, Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. As soon as the singers started singing, God caused the enemy to start fighting among themselves until they were all dead. It took the army of Judah three days to cart away all the plunder sitting in the enemy camp. Then they praised and thanked God again for rescuing them. And when the surrounding nations heard about how God had fought for Judah, they didn't dare attack again. After Jehoshaphat died, his son became king, but his son didn't follow in the ways of his father and instead imitated his father-in-law, King Ahab of Israel. For a time, evil rulers governed Judah, and the people followed their lead and worshipped idols. In Israel as well, the example set by Jeroboam persisted, and the people and all their kings continued in idolatry. But there were still the prophets to remind people to turn back to God. 
In the north, Elijah continued as a prophet after Ahab's death. Ahab's son had become the next king, and when he was seriously injured in a fall, he sent messengers to ask at the temple of Baal if he would recover. God sent Elijah to meet the messengers and tell them that the king would not recover. Instead, he would die lying in that same bed. The messengers returned, and the king was surprised they were back so soon. But the messengers explained what had happened, and the king realized Elijah had turned up again. So he sent a captain and 50 men to arrest Elijah and bring him in. The captain said to Elijah, Man of God, the king commands you, come with us. But Elijah replied, If I'm a man of God, let fire fall from heaven and destroy you, which is what happened. So the king sent a second captain and another 50 men with the same results. So the king sent a third captain and another 50 men. When the third captain arrived where Elijah was, he said, Please spare our lives and don't send fire from heaven to consume us. God told Elijah to go with that captain, and he went and gave the king the same message in person. Because the king had sent messengers to consult with Baal instead of the true God, he was going to die in the bed he was lying in. Shortly after this, Elijah and Elisha were traveling, and Elijah told Elisha, Stay in this town. God is calling me on to Bethel. But Elisha protested, I'm not going to leave you. So they traveled on together to Bethel. And when they got there, a local group of prophets asked Elisha if he knew God was going to take Elijah away that very day. Elisha knew and didn't want to talk about it. Then Elijah told Elisha to stay there. God was calling him on to Jericho. But Elisha again refused to stay behind, so they went to Jericho together, where another group of local prophets asked about God taking Elijah away. Elijah again tried to get Elisha to stay behind while he went on to the Jordan River, but Elisha wouldn't stay behind. When they got to the river, Elijah folded up his cloak and struck the river with it, and the water parted and the two of them walked through on dry ground. After they had crossed, Elijah asked Elisha, what can I do for you before I'm taken away? And Elisha said he wanted to be Elijah's successor and inherit double the share of the spirit that Elijah had. Elijah said that it was a difficult request, but if Elisha saw him when he was taken, then the request would be granted. They continued their journey, and suddenly a chariot of fire appeared and separated them. Elijah's cloak dropped as he was carried up to heaven in a whirlwind, and Elisha watched until Elijah in the chariot had disappeared. Then he picked up Elijah's cloak and started back the way they'd come. When he got to the Jordan River, he struck the water with the cloak and called out, Where is the God of Elijah? The water parted, and he crossed through. Some of the local prophets from Jericho were watching and said, Elijah's spirit is on Elisha now. God did many miracles for the common people of Israel through Elisha. Jericho's leaders came to him because the water in their spring had gone bad and they couldn't drink it or use it to grow crops. Elisha asked for a bowl of salt, then threw the salt into the spring and said that God had purified the water and it would be good from that point on. And it was. After that, a poor widow came to Elisha. Her husband's creditor was threatening to take her sons as slaves to set to satisfy the outstanding debts, and she had nothing to repay those debts with. All she had was a little bit of olive oil. 
Elisha told her to borrow all the pots, bottles, or jars she could from her neighbors, then pour the oil into all those containers. She did, and her little bit of oil was multiplied until it filled everything she collected. After selling it, there was enough to pay off the debt and support her and her sons. Another time there was a famine, and Elisha was getting ready to enjoy a pot of stew with a group of local prophets. But someone accidentally added some poisonous plants into the stew, and they couldn't eat it. Elisha threw a bit of flour into the stew, and the stew became safe to eat. Now the commander of the Aramean army at that time was a man named Naaman. He suffered from leprosy, and his wife's Israelite maid said, If only he'd go to see the prophet Elisha, I'm sure Elisha would heal him. So Naaman came to Israel with a letter from the king of Aram to the king of Israel, and it said, I want you to heal Naaman from his leprosy. But the king of Israel just thought Aram was trying to pick a fight. Elisha sent word to the king to send Naaman to him. When Naaman arrived at Elisha's house, Elisha sent a messenger to tell him to go wash seven times in the Jordan River, and his leprosy would be cured. Naaman was furious that Elisha hadn't met such an important guest in person and that he'd come so far when there were better rivers closer to home. But the men who come with him urged him that since he'd been prepared to do something far more difficult to be cured, why not do this simple thing and go wash in that river? And they persuaded him. After he washed, he was healed, and he went back to Elisha and offered him gifts. Elisha wouldn't take the gifts, but Naaman declared that he would never worship or offer sacrifices to any other god but Israel's god who had healed him. And Elisha sent him away in peace. Sometime later, Elisha sent another prophet to find a man named Jehu and anoint him to be the next king of Israel. The prophet did as he was told and told Jehu that he was to destroy the family of Ahab so God could avenge all of the prophets that Jezebel had murdered. Jehu drove like a madman to get to the palace that was next door to where Naboth's vineyard had been. When Ahab's son King Joram came out to meet him, Jehu killed him, then kept pressing on. Jezebel had little warning, but got dressed up and waited at a window for Jehu to arrive. She called him murderer, but Jehu shouted up at the window, Who is on my side? And when a few of her eunuchs appeared to be listening, he said, Throw her down! And they pushed her out of the window, and she fell in front of Jehu, whose horse trampled over her. After refreshing himself in the palace, Jehu ordered some people to go bury her since she was the daughter of a king. But when they went out to bury her, there was nothing left but her skull, feet, and hands. She'd been eaten just like Elijah said she would. As king, Jehu killed any survivors of Ahab's family. Then he completely destroyed every trace of Baal and his worshipers from the land. But he didn't destroy the golden calves, and idolatry continued in the land. Idolatry that angered God and meant that the curses and punishments of the covenant would be carried out. Now that the story's over, it's time for our processing questions. So, here are our processing questions. Feel free to think through them yourself, or if you're listening to this with a group, pause the audio and talk amongst yourselves about these. What did you like about this story? What did you not like or find confusing and uncomfortable in this story? 
What did you learn about God from this story? What did you learn about people from this story? And what does God want you to do in light of this story? Now there's just one last thing before you go, and that is if you are enjoying this series and you find it beneficial, I'd really appreciate it if you would like, subscribe, and share this with your friends. And I will catch you on the next episode of Bible Briefs.